Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians 3. As you're, as you're going there, let me ask you a question, though. <clears throat> what if it wasn't true? What if he hadn't risen from the dead? What if it, if it turned out that somehow they found bones and they said they were his and the DNA proved it and all the rest of it? What would we have? Well, you say, well, well we'd still believe in him. He was still a good man. No, we'd have nothing. Absolutely nothing. Paul said this. He said, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But you know what? He did raise from the dead. He did step out of the tomb. He did do it. And they'll never find his bones because if they could have found them, they would have found them by now. If they could have found anything uh, that would somehow convince men that he didn't rise, they would have done it. Remember, it was big business to the Pharisees that uh, Jesus be disproven. And the clearest way they could have disproven him was just to produce the body. And if they could have, they would have. But you know, when it comes to proving the resurrection, there are some things, and I'm not going to preach about that this morning, but just let me throw out some thoughts to you here. Uh, When it comes to proving the resurrection, there there are some things that make it absolutely unbelievable. unbelievable that he didn't, right? First of all, he was seen by more than 500 people at once. Now look, you can have an illusion, but 500 people to see him, he interacted with the apostles over a period of, of time, he ate fish in front of them, you know, Thomas was able to thrust his, his, his hand into the wounds, that's kind of impossible. But notice this also, that many of these men were going to die. And you know how they could have avoided death? They could have just said, look, it was a hoax. It never happened. But they wouldn't and they couldn't. Because he did rise from the dead. And it takes more faith to believe that he didn't rise from the dead than it does to believe that he did rise from the dead. You see, if there was ever a body that was searched for or was sought after, it was the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? Couldn't be found. Because it's in heaven right now with him. Because he rose from the dead. And we stake our claim to eternity today on the fact that our Savior stepped out of that tomb and proved himself to be the victory, victor over sin, death, and hell. That he was the victor, that he was the winner, and he proved himself. And because he did, we have a living Savior. Now, understand that. That's unique. We have a living Savior. Every religion has its heroes. Every religion has its heroes that have gone on before and and uh, that, that, that people pray to. But you know what? They don't talk back to them. Our living Savior talks back to us. Our living Savior lives. Because he rose. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul. And um, he's really, what he's doing is he's giving you his life purpose here. He's telling you what what he wants for his life. What his life is about. He says, finally my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might have trust in the flesh, I more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as teaching, touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. And here's Paul's life purpose, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And he goes on, but we're going to focus on verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Let's bow for prayer. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to your word? Would you help us, Lord? Lord, just uh, touch me, Lord, that I might say those words that you once said. And Lord, touch the hearers that they might hear what you need them to hear. But Lord, may none of us walk away today not touched by you. Because Lord, we come to meet with you. Not to hear a preacher preach not to sing songs, but we come to meet with you. We come to meet with our living Savior. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. Would you bless now in these moments in Jesus' name? Amen. Um, <clears throat> that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Listen, <clears throat> we need to understand that we have a Savior that we can know. Because he rose from the dead. And knowing somebody is not just about knowing about them. Knowing somebody is about relating to them. And what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with a relationship. We're dealing with a relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're dealing with somebody on the other end of the phone, so to speak. We're not just phoning into the system and leaving a message. We're dealing with somebody on the other end of the phone. We're dealing with the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Um, you see... Like we said, all the, all, the, all the other religions have their leaders, but they're dead. I mean, Muhammad is dead. He's in a tomb. All the other religious leaders, they're dead. They're in their tombs. Nobody's claiming that they live. But Jesus did. And because he lives, we have a Savior that we can know. Now, <clears throat> I wonder, was it just Paul that wanted to know him like this, or is that something that goes through the Bible? Well, you know, even in the Old Testament, you find uh, that men wanted to know God. That they wanted to know. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. Don't, don't look there. Let me just read it for you for time's sake. Uh, God says this. And thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. To the glory of a human being is to understand and know him. Not riches, not strength, not might, not power. To know him. That he knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. God is telling you, listen, the glory that you can enjoy in this world is to know him. Do you know that the manifestation of God to us was the Lord Jesus Christ? That he was the image of God, that he was the manifestation, that he was to show us who the Lord was. And when we know Jesus, we know the Father. And that's your glory. That's, listen, all the things you're going to do in life, they're not your glory. The car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes you wear, the money you make, the, uh, all the things that you're going to do in this life, they're, they're not your glory. 
but to know him is. To know him is your glory. Let me give you some other instances where it says, um, in John 17, verse 3, it says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is what? It's to know him. Knowing him is eternal life. It's, it's a relationship. Remember, some people are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in that day, and they're going to say, but we did this for you, and we did that for you, and we did all these things for you. And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's relationship that we're talking about here. A relationship with a living being, with somebody on the other end of the line. Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. All that we have and need is in Christ. And the knowledge of him uh, leads us into it. First John 5 verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God is come and, that ha- and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and that we are in him and that we are in him that is true, even the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Christianity is about a relationship. It's about knowing him. That's what it's about. Now, how do we know God? You know, you and I know a lot about people, don't we? <clears throat> you know, you've got film stars, you've got historical figures, you've got all kinds of people out there that you know about. You know, you could be a student of, with, say, Abraham Lincoln. You could have read dozens of books on the life of Abraham Lincoln. But could you say that you know Abraham Lincoln? No, you could say that you know about him. But you couldn't say that you know him because to know somebody means relationship. To know somebody means there's a reciprocal thing going on here. It's a, it's a back and forth thing. It's not just um, uh, a one-sided thing. You see, so in order for us to know him, there's another dimension to this thing. Now, we need to know about him. You know, because you can't know him without knowing about him. You can't know him without finding out about him. And how do you find out? Well, you read the Bible. You listen to the preaching of the word. You hear everything you can as far as the word of God is concerned. You study it. You come to know him. Remember Jeremiah said that, 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 that I am the Lord and I, that I am loving kindness. That, that, that we need to learn these things about God so that we can know him. And the Bible gives us what we need to know about him. But it needs to go deeper than knowing about him. It needs to go deeper for us than, than just understanding who he is. First step is you need to put your faith and trust in him. Do you understand that you can't enter into a relationship with him until you're born again by faith in, in Jesus Christ his Son? And then you come to the place where what happened on uh, that first resurrection morn becomes reality for you. In other words, you've trusted that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he was buried and that he rose again. You can't enter into a relationship with him. Because the problem for us is that the wrath of God is upon us before we're saved. That because of our sin, there's a barrier between us and him. But when he went to the cross, he tore the barrier down and he said, now come. But the only way for you to come is through the cross. The only way for you to come is to come to the place where you recognize your sin. That your sin was so bad that Jesus had to die to pay the price for it. But that he did die to pay the price for it. And that he rose again proving that salvation was real and that he could give it to you. And you know what? The Bible says that when you trust in him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? It's believing, it's trusting what Jesus did that saves. And that's all you need to do. 
Understand that it's coming to the place where the resurrection is a reality. Not, 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 not the case, you know, where you believe in a historical Jesus, because everybody does. That's knowing about. But coming to the place where you know him personally, where your sin put him on the cross, and he paid the price for your sin, and you've by faith received what he's done. And the Bible says you're saved. And then you enter into a relationship with him. And you can know him. First step is putting your faith in him, is trusting him as your savior. A second step, though, is spending time in prayer. How do you get to know anyone? Well, you talk to them. They talk to you. You, you, you can't get to know somebody that you never talk to. That's not going to happen. And so if you don't spend time in relationship with Jesus, you're not going to get to know him. It really is not going to happen in your life. And the third step would be following. You see, in um, Luke chapter 14, we're not going to go there, but Luke chapter 14 talks about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, a follower of his. And it talks about you making him number one in your life. He's more important than any other pe- person in your life. He's more important than any dream, goal, or ambition that you have, and he's more important than anything in your life. And you become a disciple. You become someone that follows after him. You see, and you know, listen, many people are Christians, but they're not disciples. They're not following him. Many people are Christians, you know, and they've, you know, they've come to the place where they've trusted Christ as their Savior, but they've never come to the place where they've made him disciples. They've never come to the place where he's number one in their lives. I wonder this morning, is he number one in your life? Is he more important than anybody else, including yourself, by the way, the verse says. I wonder, is, he, <clears throat> is it true of you that you could say, well, listen, he's more important than all my dreams and goals and ambitions. I'd give up any of them for him. I don't want to do anything that he doesn't want me to do. I wonder, is he more important than things in your life? See, if we're going to know him, we have to be disciples. We have to be followers. We have to be there. And, you know, he wants to reveal himself to us. And the glory of man is that he should reveal himself to us. But you know what? We have to be disciples. We have to come to that place where we're truly uh, following him. second part of Paul's uh, uh, life ambition was... That, that he would know the power of the resurrection. That he would know that power. Now, Paul wasn't looking to know something new, you know, some new zap from heaven that was going to come into his life that was going to make him special and going to make him wonderful. He was, going to, he was looking to experientially know the reality of the power that had come to dwell in him. You see, the moment you got saved, the Spirit of God came to dwell in you. And the Spirit of God is the resurrected power of God living in you. And for you to know the power of God in your life, you need to come to the place where you know the Spirit of God and His working and His ruling in your life. Because that power is there. It's not a case of getting something more from God. It's a case of recognizing what you already have and living uh, with that power. Uh, Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning. If you just let me read it for you, and uh, you can write it down maybe and check it out later on, but let me, let me just read it for you. And Ephesians 1, 18 to 20 says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. What he did was when Jesus Christ rose from the dead uh, and, uh, and sent the Spirit to indwell us, he sent power. Incredible power. 
And listen, for us to know that power in our lives is something worthy uh, of us spending our lives doing. We, we have that power. Birth was to, for us to experientially know what that power is. Some of you were here when we showed the Otto Koenig um, <clears throat> DVDs in Sunday school. And Otto Koenig was a preacher. He was sent off to, um, <clears throat> to, to, to a tribe who were... Um, who were pagan worshippers, devil worshippers, and they worshipped the devils, and they saw demon apparitions, and they saw all kinds of things going on. And uh, Otto Koenig went and he ministered to these people without any any great effect for a long time, until one day somebody uh, sent him a book. And through the book, he realized that he had power through Christ over Satan. And he began to exercise that power, and remarkable things happened in his life. The power was there all along, but he didn't know it. And when he knew it, and when he began to apply it, it worked. Do you realize that if you're saved today, there's a power in you? The power of God, the power of the Spirit of God. There's, a, there's an incredible power. If you look at that passage in 1 verse 18, there's four different power words there. The power that's come to dwell within us. You know, it's greater than dynamite, it's greater than the atom bomb, it's greater than nuclear power, it's greater than anything this world knows. It's the power of God. And what Paul says is, I want to know that power. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. <clears throat> and listen, that's what you need to know too. That's what I need to know too. Now, what does that power bring us? Well, let me give you just four simple thoughts that it brings to you. First of all, uh, it gives you the power to have sins forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he made it possible for your sins to be forgiven. Now, can you imagine for a moment, that, <clears throat> just think about your sin here for a second. I, I realize, you know, if you're saved for any length of time, you kind of put that behind you, and, and, and the reality is you're saved, now you're on your way to hell. But I, but I read this illustration recently. It was really a help to me. Imagine <clears throat> every sin you've ever committed, right? every wicked deed that you've ever done, Every wicked thing that you were supposed to do and didn't do. Uh, every wicked thought that you've had. Every angry scowl that you've made. Every time you've done something that was less than what Christ wants you to do was written in a book. Wouldn't it be a big book? You know, if every thought, every, every, everything you've ever done wrong in your life were written, it would be a big book. Well, it's as though Jesus Christ took all of your sins written in a book and took them on his shoulders. And he took the weight of that big book full of your sin and the consequences of that off your shoulders onto his shoulders. And he paid the price for it. You know, the idea of forgiven, sins forgiven is a wonderful thought. It's the weight lifted off your back and put upon somebody else's back. That's what happened for you. All the sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit were taken and placed on Christ. And he paid the price for them so that you don't have to pay the price. He paid the price for your sin so that it no longer is a problem for you. It's his problem. And you know, he won that for you through the cross and the resurrection. He won the forgiveness of sin so that you don't have to worry about sin. But you know, <clears throat> by the way, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, and you're still carrying that load of sin. And you look at your life and you see this is wrong and that's wrong. And I'm not the way I should be. And you understand that, listen, listen, don't, don't, don't just gloss over. Don't just say it doesn't matter. It matters. It matters a whole lot where your sin is. Listen, if you're still carrying the weight of your sin, there's forgiveness. 
Jesus waits with open arms to forgive you if you'll come. Because that's what he did. He died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. Listen, the deal is done. He just wants you to come. He just wants you to come and receive the gift. That's all he wants. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, listen, it is the simplest, most joyful thing in the world for you to trust Christ as your Savior and be born again. You could do it today. You could go home to your lunch today. A new person with the load of your sin taken off your shoulders, right? But also, though, he, he gives you the power to conquer sin. You see, Jesus just didn't just forgive your sin and leave you in your sin. He gave you the power to conquer sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. If you're not under the law, you're under grace. You see, if you go back to that passage in Romans chapter um, 6, Romans 14, no, sorry, Romans chapter 6. If you go back to Romans chapter 6, it talks about the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it talks about the fact that sin shall not have dominion over you. It doesn't have power over you. Now, that's the truth. Because that's what the Bible says. You're here this morning and you're born again. Sin no longer has power over you. And you say, well, you don't know my life. Well, listen, the truth truth is what God says. Your life may not line up with the truth that God says, but your life is what's out of whack, not the truth truth of God. Do you understand this? Here's what happens to us, right? You see, we live in sin all through our lives. We come to the place where we get saved. Uh, We come to the place where we get changed. And we're we're looking at the sin in our lives. And, and, you know, we're saying, well, okay, so I'm free from the sin. Now, the power of sin is broken in my life. And then we think, but it can't be. It can't be that easy. And you know what happens? So, so, So somebody approaches us with the temptation to sin. And you know what we do? We do what we always did. We give in. And you know, the enemy sits on your shoulder and he says, see, nothing's changed. You're still the same as you've always been. But the truth is that what you've done is you've just given in. But you are changed. See, <clears throat> Pavlov did an, exper- an experiment with dogs. right? And um, uh, he, he was a psychologist and he was learning. Uh, <clears throat> he was learning about animals, learning about people. But what he did was this, was he would feed the dogs, ring a bell and feed the dogs. And eventually, after having done it for long enough, when he rang the bell, the dogs began to salivate because they knew dinner was coming. Even when dinner wasn't around, there was no smell of dinner, there was no sight of dinner, the bell, they were conditioned to respond to the bell. Do you know that sin conditions you to respond to? And Satan plays a royal game with you. Satan plays a wonderful game where he wants you to actually go with it. And even when you get saved, understand, you, know, you, you get saved and you step into a war zone. Right? <clears throat> because Satan and God have a war going on. Satan's defeated, but he doesn't know it yet. Or rather, he's not fully accepted it yet. Because he knows what the Bible says. And, and what he does, the moment you got saved, you got translated from his kingdom into God's kingdom. And Satan didn't just lie down. He's not that kind of a leader. He's not that kind of a warrior. He set his eyes on you and he decided to go after you and he decided somehow, anyhow, if possible, I'll get you back. I'll pull you under. And if I, and if I can't get you back into my kingdom, I'll make sure you do no good in his kingdom. And so what he does is he brings temptation to you over and over again. And he goes after you and he tells you you're the same. And whenever you give him an inch, he takes it and more. And what he does is he works you over till he gets you in the place where, you know, you don't believe you've got power. You don't believe this resurrection power is real in your life. 
You don't believe it's possible for you to step free from sin. And you end up giving in. See, it's kind of like this. Before you were saved, Satan had the gun and you were a prisoner. He pointed the gun at you and said, you will do what you're told. And you said, yes, I will do what I'm told. But then Jesus died, was buried and rose again. And what he did was he took the gun off Satan and he gave it to you. And he said, you don't have to obey him anymore. But you know what the devil does? The devil tries to convince you the gun's not loaded. The devil tries to convince you, listen, put the gun down and fight me fair. The devil tries to get you off the reality, no, I am no longer the victim. Sin no longer has dominion over me. I'm not under the law, but under grace. I am free. And you know what? When you take the freedom that was won for you on the cross and declared in the resurrection, you're free indeed. The only people in the world that are truly free are born-again believers. But most of them don't know it. Most of them don't realize it. But you're free this morning. Not only did he give you the power to have your sins forgiven, but he also gave you the power to have victory over sin in your life. Listen, you've got it. It's yours. You just got to claim it. Listen, take that gun back off him, will you? Recognize that, listen, you have power. The third thing he gave you power to be was to be God's agent. You've got a purpose in life now. You know, we live in a purposeless age. We live in an age when people don't know what they're about. We live in an age when young people are taking their lives because they can't think what to do with their lives. They can't think how their lives matter or how they matter, and they're just kind of signing out and checking out and uh, checking out of life. But you know, you've got a purpose in life. You know, listen, you, you, you've got a focus. You've got a work to do. Let me read you from, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 and 20. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Imagine if you got a phone call from um, the government and they said, look, we want you to be our ambassador, and they named the country. You know what? You'd, listen, you, you, you'd grow six inches, wouldn't you? You'd think, wow, imagine that, me, an ambassador. Imagine that, me going to represent Ireland. And listen, you'd, you'd, you'd be charmed with yourself. You know what? You've been given the job of being an ambassador, an ambassador of heaven. You're supposed to spend your life uh, declaring him to a world that desperately needs to hear about him, to a world that des- desperately needs to hear from him. That's what you're supposed to do. You're an ambassador. Listen, if you were called to be an ambassador uh, for Ireland, uh, you wouldn't go to some foreign country and just sit quiet. Now, I'm just, I'll, I'll just try and take it easy, sit quiet, and not let anything happen to I me. Mean, you know what? You, you talk about Ireland. You'd go to the meetings, you'd go to the dinners, and you'd talk about Ireland, and you'd tell them all about your job as an ambassador, and you'd be thrilled with yourself. You're an ambassador for a much higher kingdom than the kingdom of Ireland. You're an ambassador for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I realize that his kingdom is not of this earth, and you can't see it. You can't see his buildings, and you can't see his palace, and you can't see his army, and you can't see his crown. But one day you will. One day you'll see the reality of who it is that you're serving as an ambassador. You know what? Listen, by faith, we need to serve him for all we're worth today. We need to be uh, his ambassadors because 
What he was doing on the cross was saving you, yes. But saving all them too. And he wants you to be an ambassador and to go out there and tell them. To tell them how to be saved. To tell them how to come to know him. To, to reconcile lost men with him. That's what he wants. Listen, that's a thrill. That is a thrill. That's not a burden. That's a thrill. Listen, we ought to rise up and rejoice because we've got a message to take to the nations. We've got a resurrected Savior uh, to talk about. We've got uh, something to actually pass on to them, something that they desperately need. Something else that he won for you, the power to be conformed to his likeness. Listen, when you read the New Testament, don't you just love Jesus? Don't you just love him? I mean, we looked at the triumphal entry last Sunday. I mean, I just love it. And Wednesday night, if you were here, uh, we, we, we talked about the Lord Jesus Christ in the day of controversy when he's in the temple, you know, just defeating everything that the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the scribes can throw at him. Listen, he's just defeating it all, and he's turning the tables on them. And listen, you, you have to love him. You have to look at this man, and, and, and listen, he's, he was 100% man and 100% God, but you know what? He rises far above anything in this world. Here you look at him and listen, he is just wonderful. You know what his plan for you is? You know what the Father's plan? That you should be conformed to the image of his Son. Me? Conformed to the image of Jesus? Listen, that's wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. That's not a burden. I think so often the enemy gives us the wrong idea on Christianity. and So even as Christians, so often, listen, we get it back to front. Oh, I have to go witnessing. Oh, I have to be holy. Where do we get that kind of a thinking from? Listen, we get to be made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, being conformed is not easy. And being conformed doesn't just happen. Somebody asked Leonardo da Vinci, uh, what, what did it take to make a piece of granite look like a horse? And he said, it's simple. What you do is you just knock every piece off that doesn't look like a horse. So what does it take to make you look like Jesus? It's easy. Just knock everything that doesn't look like Jesus off. <clears throat> That's what God wants to do. He wants to conform you to the image of his son. And you know what? We resist. We fight. We hold on. The things that are not good for us and never did us any good and won't be any help to us. And we, we, we want, we want to, to hold on to those things. And if only we would understand, listen, Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again so that you might have power to be like Jesus. You know the sweetest moments in your life? The sweetest moments in your life are those moments when you surrender and you say, yes, Lord, take it away. And you know what? As soon as you say that, you don't miss it a bit. It's when you fight to hold on to it. That's when you've got controversy between you and God. That's when you get on the opposite side between you and God. And listen, you know, <clears throat> what you're doing is, is you're, you're standing against God. And when you stand against God, you can't win. You're never going to win. But when you give in, when you say, okay, Lord, you just take it. You just do it your way because that's the best way. You know what happens? Listen, life's good. Life's good. Christianity's not a burden to be endured. Christianity is a relationship to be enjoyed. Christianity is a person to know and enjoy and a person with power. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, 
are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That we're changed into his image, that we're made to look like him. Look, listen, isn't that what you want? In, in your good moments. In the moments when, listen, when you're, when you're really lucid and you're really thinking right. Isn't that what you want? You want to be made like Jesus? Aren't you sick and tired of you? Don't you get sick and tired of you? You never get sick and tired of Jesus. And listen, God wants to make you into his image. And there's power available to do it. You know what? This deal that God offers offers us through the cross and through the resurrection is the best deal that's ever been offered to anyone, anywhere, anytime. There's there's never been a better deal offered. But we're so backward sometimes that we fight against them. You may come here this morning and you're not saved. And you're saying, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to be a Christian. I'm not sure that I want to do all those things those people do. I'm not sure that I want to go that far with this thing. Okay. But don't you want to be like Jesus? But don't you want power, victory over your sin in your life? But, but don't you want to know him? Of course you do. He's not calling you to something painful and harmful. He's calling you to something wonderful. And glorious. But you know what? In our foolishness, we'll often stand against him. In our foolishness, what we'll do is we'll often stand against him and say, no, no. I don't want it. And he says, come. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not saved... You're missing out on the joy and the glory and the rest that there is in Jesus. But you know, you come here this morning and you're a believer. You know you're saved. You know you're on your way to heaven. And you know, Jesus is asking you to put something aside. He's asking you to let him take away something that doesn't look like Jesus. And you're saying, no, I want it. But it's not what's best for you. But I want it. But I'll give you power to do it. But I want it. And you're resisting him this morning. And even as I speak, there's a knot in your stomach because you know you're resisting him. You know you're not willing to let him take it away. Listen, if you will just yield it, he will come and he, with his power take it. And you'll say, why did I resist? Why did I fight against it? You see, What Jesus wants for you is always what's best. Always. God's incapable of wanting anything bad for you. He wants the best for you. And if you will just yield to him, today and tomorrow and all the other days, you know what you'll find? You'll find he's making you a masterpiece. He's making you like Jesus. If you will just not resist, but yield, and let him do the work that only he can do and you can't do, you will be amazed at what he does and how he changes you and how you become like Jesus. And you know what? I don't think there's a one of us in this room that would for a moment say that being like Jesus would be a burden. I think if there was ever a hero that people want to emulate. When they get to know anything about him, people want to emulate Jesus. And God, through the power of the resurrection, says it's possible for you. 
The question is, do you want it? Or are you going to resist? That's my prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, for a people to come and listen. And all oh, we thank you for this resurrection morning. And now, Lord, as we, <clears throat> as we look to you, we ask you, Lord, would you have your way in these moments in hearts and lives? Lord, would you work in the lives and hearts of these people, Lord, that they might respond to you? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And God is speaking to you about your need to be saved, your need to be born again. And, you know, <clears throat> I know he's able to speak to you. I know he's able to actually communicate with you. And maybe as you're sitting there right now, that's exactly what's happening. God is communicating to you that you need to be saved. You're not his child. You don't know him, and you need to be saved. What I'd like to do is I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass your point yet, but afterwards I'll get someone to talk to you and to show you from the Bible how you can be saved. Ultimately, it's between you and God. But I'll get someone to take and show you how you can be saved. But you're here this morning, and the Spirit of God is, is, is prompting you, is prodding you, and you know you need to be saved. Would you just lift your hand? Just lift your hand as you sit there. You know you need to be saved. Just lift your hand. Let me pray for you. Anybody at all? Just lift your hand and put it back down again. All right, then. You're here this morning, and you're a believer. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. But there's an area in your life that you're resisting. There's an area in your life that you're really having a controversy with God over. There's something in your life that he wants to take away that's going to make you look more like Jesus, and you don't want to let it go. And the Spirit of God is speaking to you about it this morning, and you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to let it go. I want it gone. I don't want it in my life. I want to be like Jesus. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. See those hands. Amen. 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 See those hands. Anybody else this morning? Now listen, if God is dealing with you and God has spoken to you and you want to do business with him, the piano is going to play. We're all going to stand to our feet. I'm going to give you an opportunity to step out of your seat and to come and do business with God here at the altar. Just take a moment of your time and just confirm in your heart what God has done in your heart. And if you need to be saved, let me ask you, don't leave this place until you've talked to someone about it, until you've gotten that one settled. Let's all stand. The piano's playing, and you want to deal with God. Let me just have you stand, step out of your seat and come and do business with him. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for working in hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. And, oh, Lord, for the one that's here that doesn't know you as Savior, blessed Spirit of the living God, there may be confusion, there may be a, uh, a failure to understand, but, Lord, you can overcome all those things. Lord, would you continue to speak to that one that they may come to you? And for those that have made decisions, Lord, may there be the release and the joy and the blessing of your power changing and dealing with them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.